This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and this is JJ Wellplay at BFM's video game show. This is the last week of February, which means that I'll be joined by Jonathan Leo, Content Director at Kakuchopore.com for our monthly run-up. Let's start the news with Sony and how they've basically ruled out releasing any major games from existing franchises this financial year. That is correct. Um, so this is from now until the 31st of March 2025. So that basically means no Horizon sequels, no God of War, no Last of Us, no Spider-Man 2 or anything exclusive on their site. Like anything that has a sequel. So no Ratchet Clank lah, in other words as well. <laughs> They're also forecasting less sales for the PlayStation 5 from now on as the console is entering its later years. Which kind of hints that maybe we might see a PlayStation 6 announcement maybe in the next few years or so but mm. here's the crazy thing I mean when it first sold like a couple of years in the pandemic yeah there were people like who were having so much trouble finding playstations I mean now that problem is over but so shouldn't mm. we just have this thing not be on its last console cycle years or something or maybe we might have the updated playstation 5 pro which is being heavily rumored but on the plus side in terms of software and product There will still be third-party and platform-exclusive titles. Mm. Just not some that's existing. Lah. So you're going to see your Stellar Blades. You're going to see your... Hmm, I'm not sure. Oh yeah, Rise of the Ronin. I totally yeah. forgot that's a new thing. Okay. <laughs> and other new titles that PlayStation will probably announce in the middle of the year. Because usually June is when they start creating their own show, you know, to announce big new things. So nothing to worry about because um, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth should be out on the week this podcast is out. And we got Rise of the Ronin and Stellar Blade coming out. And also there's Helldivers 2 for people to play. This whole news have a lot to do with ex-CEO Jim Ryan leaving and subsequently having some of the many first-party live service games getting cancelled. However, I'm hearing buzz and rumours that we might get a new Twisted Metal, which might be a live service game. So I guess when they mean, when they quote in quote say any new major existing franchise titles, I don't think they probably include something like Twisted Metal because um, that's something that hasn't been in, in recent memory. So maybe that got excluded. But again, this is just rumors. What I can confirm is probably Rise of the Ronin and Stellar Blade being titles that are PlayStation exclusive, PlayStation 5 exclusive. Mm. Now, is this a good move to do this? To announce this like at the beginning of the year and to say that, okay, don't expect any of that major big titles to be released at least throughout this year? Do you think this is a good move? Normally, I would say no, but having new IPs coming in and hopefully getting announced in the middle of the year, of this year, might be a good idea for Sony to... And plus these games, the sequels for these existing franchises are probably still in development, so they can't really announce anything yet. I think that's just why they're doing this news, so to, you know, make sure people have no expectations except for new games coming in, like new IPs, new untested Uh, intellectual properties and new entries to games. So we might be surprised la, at what's coming back and whatnot. But given that we're going to be talking about Xbox and Nintendo later, I think this is an okay piece of news considering that they're not Xbox, which we'll get to later. La. All right. Sticking with Sony, PlayStation Asia has announced that the PS5 Slim will be released at the end of this month. That is correct. PlayStation Asia has announced that the new PS5 Slim model will be available in Malaysia from 20th February with a price of $2,499 for PS5 
again with the whole disk drive and then 2069 without the disk drive. However, this new bundle, it also comes with uh, a separate uh, Blu-ray disk uh, drive which you can connect, actually you can insert into the diskless version. And I think that will be sold separately at 529, I believe, the separate disk drive. And you've got like, how do you say, you've got like a variety of PS5 console covers just for the Slim, which comes in four parts and for both the discless and the disc version. And that costs about 259 comes with Volcanic Red, Cobalt Blue and Sterling Silver. I've actually held the PlayStation 5 Slim, both versions, and it's definitely very carry-friendly. You can put this in the bag together with another laptop inside like a hacky sack or like a regular laptop bag. It's pretty convenient. But just keep in mind that even though it has one, it has one terabyte of memory inside, not the 825 gig that you get in the original PS5 Slim, every other specs are the same. So you basically, it's the same as the PlayStation 5 more or less, the original fat PlayStation 5. So mm. if this is your very first PlayStation 5 console, get the Slim. If you already have a PS5, I can't justify getting it unless you want a collection of Slims. <laughs> yeah, it is technically out now, right? Based on the yeah, it is out right now. It should be out right now by the time the show. Yeah, 20th February, yes. PlayStation should be out. Yep. And we spoke about um, how PlayStation has adjusted their forecast regarding the number of sales. Do you think that the PlayStation 5 Slim will somehow help uh, their sales? It is a slight... I won't say there's like a huge price difference, so mm. it might just stay the same, actually. So I won't say lower numbers, but whatever they sold last year, they, it's probably going to be the same numbers this year. Because mm. at the end of the day, it is just a repackaged PlayStation 5. Just smaller and more convenient to carry around and put in the shelf space. Mm, all right, yeah. Moving on, uh, let's talk about Nintendo and the rumored Switch Two. I, mean, I think every other, every other month we'll be talking about how there will be another new Switch uh, Two. Um, this time around, according to the rumors, uh, it will launch perhaps in early twenty twenty five. That is correct. Um, they are working on games targeting quarter one of twenty twenty five, like Nintendo and its other partners, to launch alongside the console itself. Again, this new, I mean. A lot of news has leaked that is going to supposed to come out on the 2024 end of the year, but now we're getting new news here and there. So all I can say is just wait for the official news from Nintendo, who might probably announce something in the next few months, most likely in June, lah, because that's when the summer of gaming starts, you know, like. Again, we are so accustomed to the fact that all the big news comes out on June anyway. But anyway, um, according to the sources, third-party game companies were briefed on an eternal delay from late 2024 to early the following year. One publishing source suggested the delay was so that Nintendo could prepare stronger first-party software for the console. So it'll probably follow the same timeline as the original Nintendo Switch back in 2017. So all I can say is it's probably the worst-kept Nintendo secret because we know a hardware update, a sequel to the Nintendo Switch with better hardware is coming. It's just a matter of when. Mm. And do you think that early 2025 is perhaps um, slightly a bit late or not? No, I don't. I think it's fine. I mean, we can still wait another a year or so because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Nintendo Switch is probably the best console to get right now because of its many, many exclusive titles which will never, ever get ported outside of the Nintendo console. So they have all the time in the world to wait. While true, I did slag on Legend of Zelda, the Tears of the Kingdom for performing terribly because of the frame rate and everything. But the rest of the games are fine. I mean, like the platformers, like Super Mario Brothers Wonder, and even the Super Mario RPG, they all run fine in the end. And it's all about gameplay, right, in the end. 
Yeah, true. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about Microsoft. Uh, and they had a business update of sorts. I think based on the, the latest episode of the podcast that they had recently, right? Yeah, that's correct. A special episode of the Xbox official podcast dropped on a few weeks ago at this time of recording, revealing that four Xbox games are coming to other consoles and platforms. It's already been revealed right now. It's Sea of Thieves, Pentiment, Grounded, and Hi-Fi Rush. Mm. All really stellar games on the Xbox now being ported onto Nintendo Switch and PlayStation consoles. So um, they are... This is actually just, according to Xbox, it's just meant to test the market, use these four games and see where they can go from there. However, Phil Spencer, uh, head of Xbox, doesn't reveal... He, he confirmed that the other games that, that won't be ported for now is a Starfield or in, and Indiana Jones and the Great Circle, which are still confirmed just to be on Xbox and PC for now. And in the same podcast, they announced that Diablo 4 will be on Game Pass following 28th of March onward. However, this is only available for uh, those who paid more for the Xbox Game Pass, not for Xbox Game Pass core members. Mm, it's uh, Again, uh, Diablo 4 is a well, a pretty anticipated title to be on something like Game Pass on a subscription service. So kudos for them for you know having a big title be on board. La. And with the updates Diablo 4 have been getting, I think it's on a good path. La. Uh, also, other big news from the Xbox podcast is uh, Xbox fully paid Game Pass subscription numbers are 34 million. While that seems like it's higher than last year, which is 29 million estimate, the fact that they rebranded Xbox Live Gold into Xbox Game Pass Core means that numbers are probably lower for just the paid Game Pass, meaning that they, they changed the Xbox Live Gold to be Xbox Game Pass Core, took those numbers and then added up to make it 34 million. So it just feels like it's artificial inflation in a way. Mm. So again, you can probably, I mean, your readers and, ever, and listeners can contest me on this in the future, but that's just how I feel is what happened. Mm. And uh, other big news is um, 10 major games will be announced in June from Xbox's eventual mid-year press conference. And at the end of the year, they'll be announcing, they'll be teasing uh, new hardware for Xbox's side, which is most likely the new upcoming Xbox uh, console that was leaked a while ago, a few months ago, where it's like a digital-only big Xbox Series X. La. What did you make of um, the news that Microsoft is now open to, I guess, um, to a certain extent, putting their games uh, for other consoles as well? Um, I feel that this is... Um this is uh, basically what the, the result of what they have done in the past, which is actually they tried their best. I don't know what happened. I mean, for the past two or three years since they released the Xbox series, they could have had quite a number of exclusive people that you care about. But that doesn't seem to be the case, I feel, that especially when you compare them to Sony, PlayStation. Um, it also proves that the Xbox Game Pass is... Maybe not the best strategy in the long term. It's great for short term and for customers like us, you know, playing free games for a set sub subscription service. But unless those numbers get higher than that, I don't know whether this is a long term solution. And I think followed up with what Spill Phil Spencer said after the podcast in a previous interview, he said some things that actually put Xbox and himself in quite a bad light. Like, at that same time frame, uh, there was an interview in Gamefile from uh, a site created by Stephen Totillo. He said this about Helldivers 2. Quote, I will say, when I look at a game like Helldivers 2, and it's a great game, kudos to the team shipping on PC and PlayStation, I'm not exactly sure who it helps in the industry by not being on Xbox. If you try to twist yourself to say 
like somehow that benefited somebody somewhere. When he says stuff like that, I'm just going to counter and say it benefits PlayStation, for one, because it's on their platform and it kind of makes people want to actually buy a PlayStation because it's cheaper than buying a PC, which, as we all know, is very expensive. It's sad to say, I mean, there are just some things that Phil Spencer has said, not just on this show, but also in interviews with other outlets leading up to this. In fact, there was even one interview where he's actually a bit wishy-washy on whether Starfield and Indiana Jones and the Great Circle are just going to be an Xbox or not. He is not ruling that thing, thing out to, to quote what he said. So it just feels like they're third place in a competition where they're like, what, three uh, main contenders. That's how I feel. But at the same time, I feel that I think the only strategy they have right now is maybe the one key thing people buy Xboxes for, the backwards compatibility. Maybe go back and just improve upon that because I think they've left that at the back of the the tool shed for quite too long. So that's probably the only thing they can do right now because they had so many chances in, you know, making exclusive, making games people care about and maintaining the games that they had to make them better, i.e. Halo Infinite. Because right now, I think they ran out of time and chances. So... I don't know how Xbox is going to come back from the race, especially with, like, Nintendo is probably going to dominate 2025 with Nintendo Switch 2. So th- that's just how I feel. Uh. How do you feel, uh, Hanif, on your side? Th- that's the thing. I mean, I-, I think I share the same sentiment as well with regard to like, them essentially conceding that they perhaps have lost the, the console race. Um, um, the Again, console- this is yeah. not the first time they lost. This is the second <laughs> time they lost. Yeah, but at the same time, a part of me also feels like, um, especially looking ahead, considering that, I mean, they've recently acquired Activision Blizzard and whatnot, right? Um, Mm -hmm. They are in a position to actually maybe dominate the market in the future, right? So maybe it's it's interesting that they are also trying to, I guess, make games less exclusive, I suppose, considering that maybe in the future there will be exclusives that they they might be able to, I guess, win the race again because eventually, you know, Activision Blizzard is going to, come up with something like that's really really good and that makes everyone else want to like own an Xbox just to play that right I think you're right I think you're right but that's the thing I mean you said that key one thing there own an Xbox software Xbox is, would be doing fine in the next few years or so much like how Sega exited the hardware race and became a third party company they're doing great right now um, what I'm saying is for Xbox on the hardware side I feel that what's the point of getting an Xbox now, if, especially if the, the games that I want are also available on PC and PlayStation 5? They're mm. like, what's the point of having this extra console machine when you've got other better choices at the end of the day? You need exclusives. I mean, I've said, I've said this in the past few news bulletin boards where you need good exclusives that stay exclusive. Like, I don't think there's anything that could justify anyone to buy an Xbox right now, especially after this podcast has been mentioned and all the stuff that Phil has said in retrospect as well. Mm. I mean, again, like I said, the only good reason you want to buy an Xbox series is probably because of the backwards compatibility. And even that, I don't think Xbox or Phil Spencer cares anymore. So they need that's the only thing they can do right now. Just go back to this one thing. That's probably simple on their side to do. Like, just add more of the backwards compatible library because that's probably the only time you could access all your classic titles like Lost Odyssey or Blue Dragon and all those other exclusive Xbox 360 and Xbox original titles. <laughs> yeah, overall, I mean, I guess to a certain extent, your takeaway from, from this um, little business update from Microsoft is that they're not necessarily putting themselves in a good light, I suppose. Yeah, they're not putting themselves in a good light, definitely, mm. unfortunately. I mean, this is enough to make a lot of Xbox diehard fans question themselves at this point in time. 
I mean, there is still room to be surprising, you know, like think of something new or whatnot or something groundbreaking. But in this day and age where, you know, people are getting laid off and games are still coming out and hardware has peaked, if I'm being honest, I don't know what other extra steps you could take that you sh- that Xbox should have done like prior. Like Xbox Series that time in 2020, that was a time, or even 2019, that was a time to, you know, pick themselves up and be better. But it doesn't feel like that anymore. Hmm. All right. Okay. Uh, moving on, um, a bit of a sad news. Yoshitaka Murayama, creator of Sukoiden and Ayuden Chronicle has passed away. Yes, he has. Um, he is the creator, like you said, of Sukoiden and the upcoming Ayuden Chronicle 100 Heroes. He died on 6 February due to complications from an ongoing illness. The news was made public um, on that week via 505 Games. Murayama was a renowned game designer, director, and producer of the hit Konami RPG series, Sukuden, and he was responsible for all three games in uh, Konami's heyday before a, they were a hated company. Um, in, uh, his other works include 10,000 Bullets and The Alliance Alive, and before his passing, he held a supervisor role in the creation of the spin-off title, Aiden Chronicle Rising. So yes, it is sad, but the only probably gleaming light of hope right there, the silver lining, is that the game is ready to be shipped out in April. I think it's the middle of April mm. by 505 Games. So he has a legacy there. So so that's the game that I'm definitely going to buy for myself when it comes out. I've mm. only played one of the Sukudans. It's great that we have someone who's still doing what he does and loving it, basically. Like, his vision never died. So mm. it's good to know lah, that at least the game is completed. That was Jonathan Liu, KKP's content director, rounding up the biggest news in February. We're going for a short break. When we return, short reviews of February releases, including Helldivers 2 and Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Stay tuned, you're listening to GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Joining me for our final episode in February is Jonathan Leo, Content Director at Kakuchopore.com. We're going to talk about this month's releases now, starting with the long-awaited Skull and Bones developed by Ubisoft Singapore. On land, we were nothing. Outcasts, oppressed by the fat cats and rich pigs. So we chased our dreams. So Skull and Bones is a pirate game where you sail around in a ship and destroy pirate ships and do contracts for other people while still on your ship, harvesting and crafting materials while still on your ship through a minigame for 8 to 20 hours straight. I say 8 hours because there's a free demo of the game you can play right now on Ubisoft's um, Connect site. Play the demo for 8 hours and then once that time is over, you can make the choice of whether you want to pay 70 US to do the same thing all over again for the next 16 hours or so. To be fair, to be fair, the core gameplay, I played about 20 hours of it. Uh, my other writer, he reviewed it, did not like it. There's something we can respect about Skulls and Bones where the foundation is fine. Um, it's just that the activities, they do get rote and old after 8, 10 hours or so. And there's really no need for you to continue on for 20 hours unless sailing and not doing much and going from place to place like for a very long time is your thing 
Even the water system, as great as it looks with the texture and the waves, there aren't any missions where you fight in very, very choppy, crazy waters here and there. Like, compare this to something as frenetic as Assassin's Creed Black Flag back in 2013-14. And you can see, like, the huge divide. Like, on its own, Skull and Bone seems kind of fine. But then, when you compare it to an older game, it looks pretty middling and, and pretty poor in comparison. However, since this being a live service game, I think there is hope that people can build upon this title. Like, maybe add in naval combat. I'm not, not even, sorry, naval combat. More like on-boat combat, better exploration, puzzles, or sword fighting. Stuff that you see in Sea of Thieves doing really well. Like, Skull and Bones has room to grow, definitely. But at this point in time, it's not a game I would recommend paying a lot of money for. Maybe for 30 US, I would understand, but not 70 US. Because what you're doing in the 8 to 20 hour span doesn't really justify the price. It just feels like a built free-to-play kind of game, especially with the in-game transactions where you buy costumes and whatnot, and all the rare. You even can even buy like Malayan pirate costumes, which is nice luck. Like mm-hmm. Singaporean pirate costumes, the fisherman hat and everything, and the baju raya and all that. Mm, right, so... At the end of the day, it wasn't as bad as we thought it's going to be, but it's not a great idea, right? It's lacking, definitely. It's lacking in a lot of things to do. It's just a repetitive lacking, and I feel that the production isn't there, and there's not even a strong narrative to follow as well. Like, gameplay is fine. It's just fine. Nothing to write home about, but at the same time, there's a lot of room to grow and improve upon. I will say this, I will give hats off to Ubisoft Singapore for putting up with management to get the game out, even though it's not the game they wanted. I'm sure because the game they wanted was probably scrapped back in 2015 or 16 like mm. around the Assassin's Creed Black Flag heyday yeah so if someone out there uh, wants to scratch that pirate edge would you rather them play the free version of this game or play Sea of Thieves or Assassin's Creed Black Flag <laughs> well just play 8 hours of it and see whether it's your cup of tea otherwise there's Pirate's Gold I would recommend you get on good old games that's a Sid Meier's Pirates uh, the 2000 remake of the pirate game from Sid Meier that's a recommended game for me and of course uh, Sea of Thieves but Sea of Thieves requires more people to be fun so you need to actually grab three other people to have a good pirate time running the boat and everything Skyline Bones I'll give it credit you can play it single player and just relax and play it through the game but again not worth the price mm-hmm. just play the 8 hour demo and see if it's a cup of tea Alright, okay, let's move on to Persona 3 Reload. Another long awaited remake. Yep, yep, Persona 3 Reload is a remake of the 2005 2004 RPG series of Persona 3, which actually started the whole trend of mixing in social elements, visual novel type dating scenarios into a real-time, turn-based RPG-type scenario. So Persona 3 Reload just basically buttons up the graphics, get new voice actors, and recreates the original game to make it more accessible and newcomer-friendly. The game features uh, modern quality of life improvements and a few new mechanics to make combat speed up really fast. While there's a lack of certain content that people want from the original, like the answered epilogue, 
it's still a decent remake, which actually puts Sega and Atlas in a good light because that means we get to see more Persona games getting remade better, like maybe Persona 2. I believe there's a full review from that that's also on BFM. Maybe you want to talk about that? Yeah, um, the review will be released probably next week. So um, we're going to hear more from Alif uh, about Persona 3 Reload. The Federation of Super Earth, keeping managed democracy safe with the lives of our heroes, protecting freedom from tyranny with the gentle touch of an iron fist. But liberty's enemies march ever closer. Together, we must take back control of freedom. Together for managed democracy. Together for victory. Together for liberty. Together for liberty. Together, they fight for freedom. Will you? And let's move on to Helldivers 2. Yeah, the next game uh, is by PlayStation, but it's also released on PC, right? Yep, it's from the same guys who made the Magicka games, uh, Arrowhead Studios, I believe. Mm. So imagine if a game developer made a third-person shooter ripping off Paul Verhoeven's adaptation of Starship Troopers. You get Helldivers 2. So you've got the very humorous narrative tone where basically it's military propaganda up to a bazillion and just made really funny. It comes with a ludicrous narrative tone, a ton of explosions from the single-player and multiplayer co-op PvE combat you'll be in against the aliens and bugs in the game, and lots of friendly fire moments where you're calling out support in the form of stratagems. So yes, the game is better with multiplayer because uh, playing by yourself is fun to actually learn the mechanics here and there and finding players online, but at the end of the day, it's better to actually have a team of four actually grouping together to play through the many uh, missions and planets defeating bugs and also robots who actually pilot automatons. It's really, really frenetic, really fun. You run out of bullets really quick. That's why you need to call support to actually get extra ammunition or better weapons or even arsenals and also um, artillery fire and uh, airstrikes and whatnot. But you can also die from that too. So you just got to be careful how you call them out. So overall, the game is fun. Servers are a bit busted, but it's understandable considering that Arrowhead is actually a very mid-sized small studio so because of their previous game's experience they did not expect like a huge influx of players coming in I think it is like what seven times the amount of people they got from the compared to the original Helldivers so it's actually one of the top concurrent played games right now as you speak oh awesome uh, so it's, it's PvE right this is what uh, it's PvE so basically you just need friends who actually can coordinate and you can communicate to with against the AI which actually just adds, like the higher difficulty get, it gets, it basically just adds more enemies. The enemies still have the same life bar and the attack value. It's just that you have this, just more to deal with, which is very harrowing in itself, lah, but also fun at the same time. Moving on, let's talk about Islands of Insight, a very beautiful game. Tell us more about this, John. Yeah, Islands of Insight is a hybrid of the Korok Zelda missions you see in Tears of the Kingdom and first-person puzzle games like The Witness. It's a playground of puzzles where you guys just gotta explore and solve puzzles within your own time frame and limits. So get to relax, but also, you know, tease yourself with a bit of like grey matter puzzlings here and there. The thrill of discovering new puzzles and areas is what keeps you going in the entire game. Uh, granted, I never tested the multiplayer for this title, but so far, my single-player online alone experience, it's uh, really good for people who are just into puzzle games or even seasoned puzzlers. 
I learned of Insights offers something for everyone, providing a decidedly zen and laid-back experience for a sprawling puzzle adventure that many people may not experience in their lifetime. Mm, yeah. Are the puzzles difficult to figure out? Uh, they get easier at the start, but of course you get like bigger brain teasers and uh, like leaps of logic here and there in between. But they feel like they're pretty well built and pretty fair as far as I know. Mm, okay, looks great. All right, uh, moving on, we also have Last Epoch. All right, Last Epoch is an action RPG uh, where your characters go back and forth in the past, present and dark future of a fantasy world. So you'll on- not only be fighting void monsters, you'll also be fighting dinosaurs and all sorts of fantasy creatures from skeletons to wizards to brigades and rogues. You have five base classes to choose from, each of them with different masteries, such as a warlock with its slew of curses and the falconer who can summon the bird companion anytime he wants to bolster the attack or have additional attacks here and there. The game's selling point is not just a high fantasy, but also the class system and how flexible you can actually respec and, you know, create your, your you know, your ultimate... Uh, character to deal damage and attack enemies in the game. They also got a pretty good loot system, um, ancestral and whatnot. You get to choose from here and there. With more stuff being unlocked in the end game, the crafting and also the gear system, where you basically collect a bunch of little primal up no- uh, nodes and items, where you can actually forge and you know tweak aspects of the current item you have, or just upgrade it, upgrade it, or scrap it, or just improve upon it, or make the item unique or legendary in this aspect. And uh, there's also a massive endgame to progress through after you're done with the 20-hour story campaign. This involves you going through repeatable dungeons and going through the end of time, monolith challenges, where you basically go to different timelines with switched around enemies and different properties, and you can keep going on provided you don't die. So yes, the game has a very solid action core, good controls, great classes to play as. Um, but of course, the meat of the game is, of course, after you're done with the 20-hour story campaign, you get to go to the good stuff where you get to get better loot through the end game. So Last Epoch is now in 1.0 form and is a worthy buy for action RPG fans looking for something in between Diablo 4 and Path of Exile. It's more in-depth than Diablo 4, I feel, but not super complex like Path of Exile. It's just right. Uh, I was just about to ask you to compare the game with the other, yeah, the other two franchises you mentioned just now. Yeah, so it is a uh, good in betweener I suppose if you want to like if you don't want to play Diablo or you want to get Path of Exile this is a good game to get right? Yeah and it's also pretty recent it is 1.0 state and it's um, I think RM89 as as far as I know the cost for the PC version there are still in-game items to buy but I feel that you're actually contributing to a small time developer and publisher not so much like a conglomerate so the cosmetics are optional I mean they cost just as much as a game or half the cost of the game but it's still fair I mean they're not you're not buying game breaking items from the in-game store it's like all the weapons you want in-game you have to farm it for yourself just like any action RPG game <laughs> yeah okay from an action RPG we now move on to a platformer and this is uh, Penny's Big Breakaway yeah that is correct um, so it's Penny's Big Breakaway is the latest game from Evening Star this is actually from a developer group from led by a guy named Christian Whitehead who is known for creating the Sonic Mania series, a game that actually made Sega relevant with its Sonic franchise all over again. So Penny's Big Breakaway is your first new IP. It's a fun 3D platformer with creative levels and worlds, a funny little tone, nice art style even though I'm not a fan of the main character's design, great music from uh, composer T. Lopez, and a charming little uh, mechanic where you use a yo-yo to jump around, zip around on the stage and do like swinging around here and there 
grabbing onto ledges and riding on a yo-yo on the game's many, many obstacle course tracks. Now, I have to admit, in the latter half of the game, the game got a bit little buggy, so I think the developers need to fix up those parts. But for the most parts, the first six worlds are very fun to play through. I mean, you've got like a lot of challenges where you got to help citizens with dilemmas halfway through, through time challenges here and whatnot. But I do feel that um, those parts are really tough, especially if you want to perfect them all. But you can actually play through the game from A, start from start to finish, going through the platforming motions. So I felt the difficulty is like, just right, just right for, you know, people who are new to the platformer or people who just are seasoned 3D platformers. Mm, yeah, um, a good alternative to all the other big <coughs> name platformers out there, I suppose. It's more of like a retro throwback. So people who actually like Super Mario 64 or games like Croc or the Rayman 2, The Great Escape, they would like Penny's Brick big breakaway because it's a basically a harkening back to the old days of 2000s and late 90s 3D platforming games again my, the only fault of the game is it gets a bit buggy and I've heard, I'm hearing reports that the launch version of the game is um, the first early stages are a bit buggy as well too some people some characters get their main character getting stuck in the platforms or whatnot which is not a good sign but from my personal experience the bugginess only came in like in the latter half of the title so the entire game is really fun, it's really charming and all that. Got a really good price of I think about RM100 or so. Hmm. And got a bit of polish here and there in the graphics in the 3D gaming department. Alright, okay. Last but not least, we're going to talk about the long-awaited game, uh, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which technically hasn't been released yet at the time this show airs at this moment. Uh, but yeah, what are your thoughts on this game? Cloud, bring me the black materia. The beginning of the end. The celebration of the faithful. <laughs> A watershed moment for all mankind. Hey kids, sorry we're late. <laughs> well, yeah, so Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is the obvious sequel to Final Fantasy VII Remake, where you continue on the adventures of Cloud, Aerith, Tifar, and many others through outside of uh, the town of Midgar, where you get to explore the rest of the world and see the sights and everything while you're on the run from Shinra. So on, on using Final Fantasy VII's context, you are basically still on disc one, but on the more the expensive open world parts of the game. So you get to explore the town of Kalm, Junon, and go through the Golden Saucer and go here and there and play through the many mini-games and partake in many combat moments against Shinra and of course other big monsters you fight along the way. I'm trying to be as vague as possible because I don't want to spoil the game. But throughout the 30-hour experience of the story mode itself, you are going to have a lot of fun. Because if you like, if you feel that Final Fantasy Remake was 7 Remake was a bit cramped, Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth expands upon the gameplay and what you explore. Granted, I do feel that the game can be a bit bloated, but at the same time, it actually fleshes out a lot of the side stuff here and there. Um, there are too many mini-games in the title and the latter half of the game can be a bit divisive, especially with the ending. But everything about the rest of the game from the action combat to the combat synergies you have with your teammates, especially Aerith and Barrett and even Red 13 and Tifa. Everything about it, it feels it clicks. It's golden from the side quests to the character-driven stories to the combat and the new synergy abilities I mentioned. So overall, it's a good improvement, but... 
some people may argue that it's a bit bloated in some sense. But overall, it's definitely a must-get. I mean, for the fans, but also for people who are looking to play a good RPG, I suppose. There is a recap at the start of the game, but I do feel if you want to give this game justice, play 7 Remake and Integrate first. Then you can get into Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Or if you played Final Fantasy VII, the original, technically you could get into it, but this actually continues the story from the remake, which has its own different slew of spins and plotline twists here and there. And because of the embargo that a lot of reviewers are being given about the story, we can't really go beyond that. But again, like that's these crossroads. It's an unknown future that beckons once again for anybody who just wants to jump into the 7 remake and explore the unknown. So in this case, uh, Rebirth is definitely worth getting a PlayStation 5 for because oh. of its production value, its combat, and maybe its story. But again, the whole package just works. Till the day. Alright, that's all for this month. What else can we look forward to in March? Uh, definitely one game that's on the top of my mind is definitely Unicorn Overlord. That's an upcoming game from Vanillaware. It's a strategy title, an RPG kind of title, which is kind of a hybrid between Ogre Tactics and maybe Heroes of Might and Magic. The demo is out right now, so you can actually play that and then you know continue your progress in the full game uh, early March. Um, I think beyond that, there's nothing else I'm looking forward to. Maybe we'll talk about that in the next recap. You're tuned into GG Well Played and that was Jonathan Leo, Content Director at Kakuchopore.com wrapping up the biggest news and releases in February. For more gaming news and reviews, head over to their website Kakuchopore.com. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for a podcast on pfm.my. Our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also find our podcast on Spotify and other streaming platforms. Do share your thoughts and the games that you play via our email ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on X at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for for joining us game on and please take care this has been GG Well Played You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9 The Business Station For more stories of the same kind download the BFM app